0: When I was in high school, it was pretty funny um there was vacation Bible school traditional type thing, and kids from all over would come and we would be assigned a certain age group and the guy who was leading the sunday the the vacation Bible school um, gathering with a little group of children he was he was saying I, I I don't remember all the ways he said it, but he was just saying, so how can we get to heaven kids and he was I guess trying to get ideas from him, they just kind of sat there clueless, staring at him. And he was, he was like, so if I'm really good and I clean the church and I do all these things, will that get me into heaven? And the kids were like, no. And he was like, okay, cool. You know, So he's got something to work with. And he was like, well, if I'm really good and I sell all of my possessions and I give it to the church, will that get me into heaven? The kids were like, no. Oh, you know, and they were kind of getting into it. And he would just went down this list of ridiculous things and all these things and good stuff and, and bad stuff. And, and then he was like, well, how in the world do you get to heaven? And one of the kids was like, you have to die. <laughs> and everyone was like, that is probably the most theologically correct statement. That has ever been made out of the mouth of a child, you know, and so. But it really did. It's that whole thing of everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. uh, If you've heard that phrase before, and today, as we're we're looking into the Apostles' Creed, um, we're concluding truly with hope, and we've talked about God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. We've talked about. Jesus, his son, we've talked about the suffering, the the virgin birth, the suffering, the dying, the resurrection, the ascension. We've talked about the Holy Spirit who he comes and dwells in us. So Jesus' statement of it's actually better that I go away so that you have access to God through faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in his people. We saw the church, the universal church, um, the, the, the one holy church. So it keeps us from having this swagger mentality about our church alone. But no, those who anticipate Christ's return and are rejoicing about what Christ has done, they are our brothers and sisters. But not just are we content with recognizing a global church, we're also saying we commune with saints. Not saints because we're well-behaved or better or smarter people, but because we are people who have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We traded our sin, our brokenness, and he replaced that and put on us righteousness that is not of our own. So we don't boast in our abilities, our intelligence, our good deeds. We tell Jesus' story. And last week, being reminded that God is a God who forgives sin fully, freely, and forever. That is the announcement we make in Christ. We're not giving people lists. We're saying God has done the work in Christ. He has forgiven sin, and it is fully, freely, and forever available in Christ. That is our announcement. That's why we say the gospel is just that. It's not this thing that now you have to do these things. It's not this instructional video. It is an announcement about something that has happened in the past, in history, that has solidified where we'll see our future this morning. The resurrected body, eternal life. And I know we live in a smarty-pants society who we think because of our intelligence, well, this just can't be true. Well, as we'll see, this is God's plan. Genesis to Revelation. And you and I, as created beings, cannot live Without a view of eternity. That's why we're talking about hope. That's where we are pointed to this morning as Christ's followers. Um, This is, and it doesn't really surprise me truly. That most of us have a pretty boorish view of eternity. I mean, how many of you have had eternity explained to you as one long worship service? Anybody? I have. I hate that idea. (laughs) Sue, I love you, but telling children one long kids moment, hearing that song, come on in and sit right down for eternity, would drive me crazy. (laughs) It's going to be like a church service, but forever. (laughs) Kids, you should be so excited, right? Mm No. No. It does not surprise me we have a very low view or very low excitement for what God has planned considering our weak, I would say almost pathetic imaginations in comparison to what God has stored for us. And I know what we're dealing with and we're battling against is our own views. We're dealing with and battling against our own fears, I do think, because there's some unknown involved. There might be a little bit of fear because we're like, could it really be that good? Like, could it really be everything I've hoped for in what God has promised? Could it? And so we let fear kind of, well, I just won't think about it. The truth is we were made to think about those things. We let media and movies form our views on eternity. And to be quite honest, most movies that I watch, very lame views of what eternity is like. Many of them are self-centered, and I would not enjoy. Neither would you, for that matter. But the truth is, we are not just going back to dirt. We are not just absorbed back into some energy. We're not an orb, or we're not some light that is released. We're not this, this, ooh type feeling or expression that we can't really connect to, that view of eternity is not encouraging because we're like, what in the world? Like, I can't see that. I can't, I can't feel that. I can't touch that. I don't understand how that works. And so for me, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. And that's not what we're made to do. God has given us Genesis to Revelation, and although he doesn't tell the entire View And picture of what eternity is he's given us glimpses and I think because we've chosen to reject God's word We actually have a lower view of eternity Than what God has for us These views lessen our desire for the eternal things of God these views don't inspire a longing for life everlasting Simply because I think we've detached eternity from our experience here right like the good questions are, well, will, will I know people? Will I see, touch, feel? Like I've had good things in this life. Like I've, I've, I've had joy and happiness. And yes, there's been strife. And yes, there's been struggle. But there's been relationship. There's been connection. There's been this. And that's, I think, what we worry about, right? We're like, but if I turn into this ball of light and this energy relief, that doesn't, we don't get excited about that. That confuses us, and the truth is God made us not just for a a final destination or location, but he made us for a relationship. And so that thing we're longing for here on earth, he's saying, that's where you're headed. You're headed to relationship, first with me and and fully. And it's not just this thing we've experienced by, by faith. It is one day we will experience by sight, walking with him, but also knowing each other truly. Not hidden. And so for us to long for something greater than these, this ooh, like floaty thing, uh, this super hyper-spiritualized, overly um, abstract concept, we don't connect to that truly. The human heart goes, I know what I know. And I know what I've touched. And I know what relationships I've had. And I have a greater longing for something, and to know that God's actually said, no, it is about relationship. It, it will be about relationship. It will be about the family of God truly being in the presence of God. And so with us, just to as human beings, we'd like to downgrade all that God has promised for us in Scripture. Um, and is it any wonder, first of all, that the enemy would attack our view of eternity? Is it any wonder that a very real enemy who desires to devour those that are his and devour those who are, who are even looking into it, is it any wonder that the enemy would cause you and I to have false views of eternity, weak views of eternity? Because if that's what we were made for, it makes sense that the enemy would go to war against what we were made for, correct? It makes sense that he would say, keep your head down, focus on this, live for this, because this is it. This is it. And so for us to live not as how we were designed is the enemy's plan. But if we live with eternity in view, it is a game changer for the church. And I hope you'll, you'll, you'll be able to connect to that. It's not about us going, got my golden ticket. I'm good. I'm checking out. But truly, this becomes the fuel for the church, allowing her to walk in difficult times and places, but with hope. We're really pointing to hope this morning. You know, we've spoken through the Apostles' Creed, and it's reminded us and directed us towards the things that are eternal. Uh, It keeps the church from building her life on things that are shifting sands. Uh, It prioritizes what we believe and teach. And you can't separate these words from eternity. The Apostles' Creed is not a, a mantra or an incantation or this thing we say. If we say it the right way, then we'll get God's blessing, or we're not held under the authority of an Apostles' Creed type saying and phrasing. But this has been said for nearly two millennia by Christ followers to guard from heresy, to keep us directed, to remember who we are. And it's become this very simple way of helping people know the basic announcement, ultimately, that Christ followers have declared for centuries. The scripture is the authority we look to and we go, man, this is God revealing who he is, who we are, what's gone wrong, what's been made right, and what we can look forward to. The Apostles' Creed becomes us saying to God, God, we believe you. We're just saying back to you all that you have said to us. As your people, as your creation, we are saying, we believe you. And so this morning, if you would like to, if you'd like to stand with me, we're going to say this together. We've been saying it now for almost 10 weeks, I think it is. And if you're one who would say, I do believe these things, feel free to say it out loud. Parents, you can pick up your children. Let them hear you speak these things out loud. If you're one who's like, I don't believe any of this, you don't have to say anything. But there are times in the Christ follower's life when we battle against the me, me, me me-ism, even in the church. There are phrases we say and declare together and sometimes to be able to say it out loud and to hear it. From other people, we go, oh yeah, I remember. I remember the things that really do matter the most. And so if you'd like to say it this morning, we'll say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You guys can be seated. For those of you that may be visiting and you were thrown off by that word Catholic, it means universal. It doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church, the organization we see on the earth today. It just means one holy church. It means the universal body of Christ. And so if you were like, whoa, I don't know. We're, not, we're not Catholic Church. We're not, you know, anything like that. But what we say as Christ followers is that we do believe That God has one body. Um, And so during the 1600s, a French mathematician, scientist, philosopher named Blaise Pascal uh, wrote a book. uh, Well, it's a collection of works that was later put into a book called The Pensees. I'm trying to say it in French. I'm not very. I don't. don't, Pensees. I think. It sounds terrible in English. It's like the Pensees. You can't say it that way. You have to say it. Pensees. And I don't. Anyways, whatever. but it's, that means thoughts, and so it's this collection of thoughts headed in a direction, and later his family kind of weaved it together. Uh, historians have actually looked at it and tried to put it in order as best as they can, but Pascal didn't live very long, and I want to encourage you, if you get a chance to look at some of his work, it's fascinating stuff, um, but his this, this thoughts book that he wrote, really, he was a man who would self-admittedly be a guy who saw the glass as half empty, very pessimistic, uh, lived a very, uh, his mother died when he was a child, he was always suffering from illness, was hunched over most of his life, very sick all the time, like I said, did not live a long life, but in this thoughts process, he really wrote, wrote towards the idea that people are trying to live life in hope without God. And so the very first part of his book is this somewhat depressing description of us looking for hope without God. And it really was this appeal to the worldly Christian even, the one who would say, oh, I believe in God, but has their head down trying to find this, this reason for living, this reason for hope without God. And he's basically saying it's impossible. So I've got a couple lines from, his, from this work, and this first quote really kind of sets the tone. And he says this if our condition were truly happy, we should not need to divert ourselves from thinking about it. Take a second. If we were truly happy individuals, we wouldn't be so consumed with distractions. We love distractions. That is who we are. All we want to do is be distracted from thinking about what really matters in our life. We're filling it with whatever we can. The next extreme sports event. The next thing. The next football season. The next fantasy day. The next this. The next that. We want the next vacation. The next car. The next house. The next greener grass moment. The next. The next. The next. The next. next. So we don't have to slow down. And we don't have to think about truly what's going on inside this is truly the, the, how we do things in, in today's society. I mean, that's why we're obsessed with our phones, right? Refresh. Come on, people, do something interesting. Refresh, refresh. This is the same thing I've seen. Refresh, refresh. Somebody post something new. Somebody post something else I can read. Somebody post another article or a video for me to watch. Just do something. Endless, limitless distractions. Because truly, we really don't want to deal. I can't even. And so his, his beginning is helping people understand that most of what we're pursuing are those things in life to distract us from dealing with what really matters the most. He says of our, our very high view of self, as he says, there are quite a few people who, who think highly of them, you know, their own being. And he says, how many kingdoms know nothing of us, How many kingdoms know nothing of our existence? You know, it's interesting because he wrote both against the common man who chases the foxes, as he would say, and he wrote against the philosopher, the one who sits and contemplates his terrible existence. He's like, look, both of these will not cause hope. And for you to think you're better because you're pursuing the little things in life, or you to think you're better because you're sitting in a dark room by yourself contemplating the misery of man, you're not any better We're all broken. We're all suffering. We're all longing for the same thing. We're all journeying, trying to fill voids with things that will not cause hope. Of our obsession with the shiny things in life, he said this, A trifle consoles us because a trifle upsets us. A trifle thing in this life will console us and we know that because the little things tick us off. We're people who are consumed with little things. That's what he's pointing to here. The trifle thing will console us because the trifle thing ticks us off. And it really is, it's in that view of if this isn't going to affect us, if we're made for eternity in the next 10,000 years, then is it really worth us sweating over? But we love things. We love shiny things. We love new things. And is it any wonder that it consoles us? Because it's those things that tick us off too. Of our obsession with the new governments and, and world organizations and these things being what we'll look for and we'll hope for, he says this, nothing is surer than that people will be weak. For those in this room who might be raging against one form of government versus another, or this thought and this thought and this thought, and the hope is that somehow these organizations are going to give us all that we need. He's saying, no. The one thing you can guarantee about a human being is that that human being will be weak. We cannot build our hope, build our lives on organizations that exist on the power of man. And then he says this of our health, which don't even get me started about the Crossfits and the the gotta get to this and exercise this and make this last, because I'm telling you the popping and the creaking, it's coming. <sighs> and Pascal said it this way: He said flies are so mighty that they might paralyze our minds and eat up our bodies. And in a day and an age where disease was rampant, and it could be something as small as a mosquito taking our grandiose lives saying are you really as strong as you think you are the answer is no you're not I mean and this is surprisingly Pascal's pessimism intending us to come to a place of hope (laughs) right but you just told me everything is stinky when you put your hope in the wrong place it actually is See, Pascal then goes on to argue that it's not despair that causes more despair. If a human being looks around and all they see is despair, they're just at a level of despair. But he says what actually causes despair is hope. I know that may be like, what? How do you mean? No, he said when you hope in the wrong thing and it continually fails you, it knocks you down a level. Well, I hope in my money. Well, you lost a job. Boom. Well, I hope in my family. Well, things, things aren't going well. Boom. Well, I hope in this, I hope in this, and it's failing. Boom, boom. Truly, he was saying that hope in the wrong place actually causes greater despair than if despair surrounded you at all times. So my question would be, where are you hoping Because his argument wasn't for the things of this world. The second half of this collected work really points us to hope in God. That we cannot truly, as human beings, have hope without him. And all we will do is work and strive for some version of hope without him as human beings. And we'll find ourselves empty. These actually point us to pointing to another country. C.S. Lewis said it this way. If I find myself a desire with no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Christ followers declare that God's intention for us is an eternal existence. A plan that was declared in Genesis that will be realized in Revelation. And even the sin in between cannot thwart God's plans. An immortal body raised to eternal life. His plan from the beginning, this isn't plan B, this is plan A, is to be with his people. And Christ has made that way possible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a great place to start your investigation of the resurrection, where Paul in the first portion of 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the why uh, we believe in the resurrection of Christ. He moves into the logical views of it. He talks about the theological view of it. He talks about the reason for it. He talks about his personal experience. And then he goes on to answer other questions, starting in verse 35. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? I've asked that. What kind of bodies will they have? Verse 36: What a foolish question. Thanks, Paul. Really love how kind you are to me. What a foolish question. Thanks for that. Um, When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. So the picture that is painted here is that of a seed. And if I leave a seed in a bag in a cabinet in my house, nothing happens. But when that seed goes into the ground, life destroys that seed. Not death, life. The life of that plant growing into what it is supposed to be destroys that seed. In the same way, death is not the end, but a beginning of new life. He goes on in verse 42, the same chapter. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever our bodies are buried in brokenness they will be raised in glory they are buried in weakness but they will be raised in strength you know I don't I don't necessarily know if you notice it but I have been noticing it lately is when I wake up in the morning I'm sore it's like I just slept that's all I did yet I have aches why is this well I did not used to have aches when I woke up in the morning. I did not complain of my back hurting like my parents did. I did not complain of, of, of waking up with creaks and pops. I swear sometimes when my elbow pops, it's gonna wake the children. Like, it's so loud. Like when I watch my children sleep in these weird twisted contortions and they get up and spring up, I'm like, if I slept like that, I would not be able to move for days. I don't know if you've noticed those things, but our bodies are breaking down. And we are susceptible to disease and death, but there will come a day when that is no longer true. And these mortal bodies will put on immortality. And we aren't just talking about a renewed mind a renewed heart. And I know there are some people who like to over-spiritualize everything and say, well, we'll just have new minds and new hearts. No, 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 no. There will not be a brain and a heart floating around in eternity. That's gross. Putting on new body, not given over to death, disease, pain, the sorrows that we experience in this world, but new life, a new body prepared to exist forever with God. This isn't an abstract, glowy, or fuzzy thing. Greek philosophers used to say, and many religions today even point to the redemption from the body, that we're finally breaking out of this shell and we're this light or this energy or or, or this thing, this thing that's going to exist now, no longer prison celled to this. And I get the understanding of, of yes, we won't be housed with sin and death, but the The Christ followers declaration is that there is redemption for the body, that it will be made new, that it's not like we're escaping something to become something better. And here's the thing. Don't tell people that when you go to a funeral, don't don't say heaven gained an angel today. I just want you to know we do not become angels when we die. Angels are actually jealous of us. The scriptures say it. They're like, they look over with anticipation. How is God going to wrap this thing up for these guys? So, you know, if I was you, I want to be me too. If yeah, yeah, I was you, uh, yeah, talking. we can talk trash to angels, I guess. I uh, Maybe don't do that. I don't know. I, I don't know the ramifications for that. But the point is, our view of eternity is so low that we would suggest, hey, you become an angel. No, you don't. Don't say that. That's not scripture. That's a lower view than what God has planned for his people. Body redeemed. And it's interesting because Paul, again, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, continues to speak to them on this issue. And starting in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down... That is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For what we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. You can look to Jesus' resurrected body. What did he do when he, he sat with the disciples? He ate food. I think he did that on purpose. I'm pretty sure Jesus ate a meal with these guys to go, you know what, ghosts, they don't eat anything, but I love to eat. He put on a new resurrected body, a physical body. What did he make Thomas do? Touch him. I think when we have lower views of what God may have planned for us in eternity, we actually rob ourselves of joy. We rob ourselves of the hope that God intended to give his people, knowing that this is not The end. He continues. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Some of you louder than others. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Did you hear that? Swallowed up by life. Like so many of us have this, this thought that death is the worst, and yes, we do not like it. It is not natural. We are it makes us go, this is just wrong. Something, this should not be happening because we were made for eternity. When we wrestle with this, the, the Christ follower understands that that life swallows us up, not death. What a beautiful reminder and invitation to know that we can trust God not just for our salvation, but for what's to come that it is good, that it is his plan, that he loves his people. It is not some pie-in-the-sky, eternal church service sitting on a pew. But it's so much more, so much greater. And he continues, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Like you and I, marked by the Holy Spirit him reminding us of everything that jesus has said keeps us aware that this is not the end and so when we're tempted to put our heads down and go well then i guess we eat drink tomorrow we die no the truth is he has prepared a people for himself an entrance into all those promises all those blessings all those rewards truly does come by faith and not by works it is a gift of god none of us can boast about it so this is the part that would say, hey, I really do. I really have enjoyed, even though life has been marked by suffering and hurt and pain, the relational side of experiencing life together. Is that going to be gone? The answer is no. The answer is that there is relationship. That is what we were made for, and we will experience it fully with God forever. Now, um, Part of our experience here is to learn that, no, to, that God has our best in mind at all times. And obviously, we've suffered, we've fallen, we're a struggle, but God has made a way. And it's interesting to me that we will trust Him with our salvation, but we will not trust Him with eternity. It's as if we walk around with this heaven must be this fixer-upper mentality. And so when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to be like, well, you had an all-in budget of $350,000. Um, you bought your house for $6, and so that leaves us two hundred and nine. whatever. I don't do math very good. And so when you get to heaven, you're going to be like, those walls, mm-mm, that color, no. This, I really want a yard for everyone to play in. I, this is good. And we're walking around trusting that he's good enough to save us, but we're not trusting him that eternity will be all that he said it's going to be. <sighs> is it any wonder most of the church walks around like an emo kid from the 1990s. Is it any wonder a lot of Christ followers walk around with their heads down over the exact same things people without Christ walk around with their heads down about? This isn't shiny, happy Christian. This isn't, this isn't me being fake and plasticky. This is me going, you know what? Life is hard. Life is difficult. Sin has marked us. It's affected us. But God's plan will not be thwarted in the mix. And this causes hope. And it's the hope we were made for. Not the trifle things, not the trifle things, but the eternal things that God has prepared for his people. Paul continues to point to a decline in our breakdown, and a breakdown in this life, but an incredible newness. In the next, in 1 Corinthians 15 53, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I love that word, so. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I love when authors use that word, so, or therefore, because that word points to the result of knowing something or having been told something, here is the now what in response to what's been happening. And because we know that Christ's resurrection points to our physical resurrection, be strong and immovable. Work enthusiastically for the Lord because it ain't useless work. And knowing that this life is temporal, it doesn't cause us to pack up shop. Eternity points us to living and working with all that we have to love God And to love people because we know and we recognize that they also are made for eternity. It doesn't allow us to close up, have a party just for us. But it actually causes us to go, no, they were also made for eternity. The book of Revelation, a book that freaks many of us out. Uh, Some of you look at the book of Revelation as if it was Jumanji or Or a Goosebump book. What did you do? You read Revelation. You have ended things for us. Um, There are apocalyptic things in nature found in this book as it deals with end time stuff. But for those of us in Christ, there is way more to rejoice about than to be concerned about in that book. Do you know that? Do you know there is way more for us to rejoice about in Christ than to be concerned about? And Miss Sue read it, but from Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. Sounds familiar. Sounds like Genesis we will, he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All who are thirsty I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I want to say this very clearly. Christ's followers would not be content with an eternity without Christ. Would you? A good gauge on your treasuring of Christ in this life is if you'd be content if Jesus wasn't there. You just got paradise. Would you be content with an eternity without the one we are to treasure most here? For the Christ follower, the joy of eternity is hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Welcome into your rest. Welcome home. Not from a door holder or some guy in a white robe, but from Jesus himself. The one who rescued when we were running. The one who brought rebels home to God. We want to hear and see by sight the one we have believed by faith today. That is the Christ follower's joy. And if you're more excited about a pie-in-the-sky, colorful rainbow world of sitting on a cloud and playing a harp and eating Philly cream cheese, bagels, all the pictures that the world has promoted, then the question is, do you treasure him now? Because for the Christ follower, that's what we long for most. That's what Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The thing I've longed for, hoped for more in this life than anything else, I will receive in eternity. And that is to know the one who gave his life for me. The one who is ruling and reigning over all the universe calls me friend. That's our joy. That's our hope as Christ followers. Sure, we do have descriptions of meals and banquets and celebrations and cities and rivers and kingdoms, all of which are very physical descriptions. So please don't detach the physical things of this world from your view of eternity, because God has not. God's made it pretty clear that there's a physical experience awaiting those who are his. and involves being with him and truly knowing each other. These are good things, and this causes hope in our lives. Now, as the band comes, and we've closed this morning just a time of worship, and just knowing and declaring things again, that's why we worship together as we sing these songs. Um, this week, I was having a conversation with my kids about eternity in, the light, in light of a, a friend's passing, and, and many of you knew um, Earl Grey, or Happy, uh, through the life of Highland, and Many of you might know that he was considered the keeper of the wall uh, on, over by Doc Shays. Um, but he had a long history with Highland and has journeyed with, with Highland for a long time. And on Tuesday, Earl passed away. Um, and getting to sit with his family in that hospital room with Happy, sitting there, no longer really there. Having conversations with them, just getting to kind of recap his life journey a little bit with them was talking with my kids about eternity. And just talking, those of you that knew, knew Happy, you knew he had one amputated leg for much of his time in the life of Highland. But several months ago, they had to take the other leg. And just being able to say to my kids, you know, Earl is, is, is standing in the presence of a Savior. Earl is leaping. Earl is uh, jumping. And to know to, that, that there's a, a wholeness That did not exist in this life, he now gets to experience in the presence of the one he had trusted with his life in Christ. And as I was talking about eternity with my kids, I was watching my youngest daughter process all that I was saying. She was just laying on her bed really quiet, which is a change. Um, (laughs) But she was laying there. I could see things spinning, and she rolls over and looks at me and says, Dad, tell us more about forever. And it was in that moment, although I've already known that as a parent, it is my responsibility to help my kids keep their heads up. It is my responsibility as a parent to help my kids not just be prepared for eternity, but to rejoice about eternity. And I think some of us, we're just so concerned about, you better be prepared, you better be prepared, you better be prepared. Well, what is it? It's a long worship service. No, I don't want to go. But as parents, to have the understanding that, yes, we don't have all the details, but Scripture gives us so much to point to. And to have my children have an accurate view that, man, God's plan for us is better than we can even imagine. Better than we can think or plan or whatever. But God's restored work. And being among his people for eternity. That's the game. That's the, that's the, whole, the whole thing. Is a God who created a people so that he could be with them. And not even our sin could co- keep that from happening. And that Christ has made a way where there was no way. That's what we declare. That's what we stand on. This is what we hope for. And we know that our work for the Lord, nothing we do for him is useless. And we're all fueled by this. This isn't the end, we keep our heads up. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. (laughs) You know, you go to a third world country, they have such a different perspective on eternity than we do in America. We're content here But you know, the book of Revelation, the letter of Revelation, was written to a church who was experiencing intense persecution. And it was not to cause them to tremble with fear, but rejoice at eternity. And if it was written to cause people to rejoice, then we are invited to rejoice at its words today. So Pascal, he says in trying to help people understand the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the message of Christianity... He said that one of the things we must do is make people wish that what we were talking about is true and then to show them that it is. And that doesn't mean we're pulling a switcheroo on people. (laughs) The truth is the whole story is good news. We're not telling something to someone to get them to go, oh, that sounds great, and then we trick them. (laughs) The truth is We don't have to paint it as something that it's not because all that it is is good. And that if we have been made for eternity, God has made a way home in Christ. And that's what Christ followers rejoice at. If you're in this room and you're like, "Ah, I don't know, I'm not so sure. We'd love to chat with you more. And as we close, there'll be some folks standing over there ready to pray for you, receive whatever. I'll be standing over here. If you're like, I got questions, man, then then that's where we journey. That's where the church comes alongside. But if you're one who is also saying, man, I have forgotten these things, and I have needed to lift my eyes, would you just pray for me? And that's what these folks are here to do. See, this whole thing of the resurrected body and eternal life is not just about us going, hey, look in this book. It tells you everything. It's about the body of Christ actually getting a taste of it because the Holy Spirit has marked us, and we live as people We live as people prepared for eternity, loving differently, forgiving differently, talking differently, expressing thanksgiving differently. Our eyes are fixed on what we cannot see because what we can see, it's all failing, but that one day by faith, we will see these things, touch them, hold them, see God, walk with his people, walk with him. It's good news. I don't have to make you. I mean, I hope you wish that it's true, but I also hope that you know that it is. I hope that as Christ's followers, we're able to stand on that together, not in a fake way, but in a way that goes, man, I'm, I'm rejoicing over God's promise because it's good. So why don't you guys stand with me we'll worship together. Father, you, you alone have laid out what is to come. And Lord, we, we, are, we are desperate people. We are a people who are in need. We are a people who love to be upset by the trifle things and, and consoled by the trifle things. But Lord, would you fix our eyes on the eternal things? Would you help us know when we're allowing ourselves to be distracted from the thing that we need most, and that is hope? And Lord, for those in this room who are despairing at a very high level because all the things they're hoping in are failing, I pray that it would be an indicator that the check engine light is on, that they need to look, where am I placing my hope? And if it's not in you, then will you call them to yourself? Bring them to yourself. And will they trust that Christ is enough? in your name we pray.